Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. Welcome into another edition of Mile High Magazine. I am Murphy Houston. We're glad to see you on this beautiful Sunday. And today we're having a little education explanation as to what's going on out there. It's a really neat idea. It's the Hope Online Learning Academy. And we have with us the CEO founder, Heather O'Mara. I love that name, Heather. Thank you. That's a great Irish name. You married into that, though. I married into that. Okay. And also Hope at I Am Academy Learning Center Director. Did I get that right? Yes. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then a Hope Community Outreach liaison, Anthony Watson, will be here too. Anthony, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much. You guys have big titles. Big titles, lots of responsibility. Well, I know. We love what he, I, we do. I know. I know. In fact, I was talking to Anthony before you got here, Heather, and he, his job, he's like a principal. Yes. That's a big job. And you're the founder, so I yes. can't even imagine what your job is like. It's a wonderful job every day. Well, you seem happy about it. And since you're here, we need to find out why was Hope Online Academy, uh, Learning Academy Co-op created? Hope was originally created to give students the opportunity to have access to online education, but giving communities the opportunity to be involved in education. I believe for students to be successful that may not have the support at home they need, the community has to be involved to help kids succeed. And Hope gives students access to online and blended learning but having the community support from their neighborhoods. Maybe you should describe more what you mean there's no support at home. They don't have parents or the parents don't care or what? what is that? Our students have parents. Our students have parents that care, but students that are struggling. Okay. Students that maybe their parents are working full-time or their grandparents are working full-time or it's a single-parent home. But education's hard. Yeah. I mean, my kids are pretty supported, but helping kids with homework can be hard. And so for students that can't be successful – or for students whose parents may not speak English and they're going to school and they need to study in English, you need a community that can help support kids to be successful. So what does the community do for Hope Online Learning Academy? What, what, so do, you, what do you com- say? Our community runs learning centers. Okay. So ours, Hope is an online school, but our kids physically go to a location every day. And the location is run by a community-based nonprofit that we call a learning center. So students go to school following the hours of a normal school day, but the people that they work with at the learning centers – not only do they work with HOPE teachers, they work with mentors from the community who could work with them on their education and understand the issues that every community has. That's pretty special. How what you, I do. So how did you come up with that idea? Honestly, it was just, I, th- I, started in, I started working in online education about 20 years ago. And when I started working in online, I was so amazed by some of the stories that I heard about students that were successful in an online environment, but they weren't successful in a regular classroom. But when I started to think about kids that might not be able to work at home, I was a pretty good student. But if I was sitting at home by myself working on a computer, I might not have been as motivated as I should have been. I probably would have procrastinated. Probably. To to have a place that somebody could go and be supported but learn at their own pace and be successful so kids that were behind can catch up without being embarrassed. But kids that are ahead could also catch up because sometimes being smart isn't as cool. Well, that's very true. Not that I was smart, so I wouldn't know, but we had a lot of smart guys around, and sometimes they, they were like the nerds, the smart people. And it's, it's, So that's the idea of having a blended model, is really giving students the opportunity to work at their own pace so they can catch up, they can run ahead, and they can learn, but they can be supported. And 20 years ago, that online concept was fairly new and maybe not accepted. It was probably the bleeding edge when I got Yeah, involved. cutting edge of smartness. It's fun. Yeah. Love it. Well, Anthony, uh, where is Hope located? What grades does it serve? And how many students are you enrolled with? So Hope is actually located in various locations. So Hope has 20-plus uh, learning centers uh, around the state of Colorado, so around the Denver metro area. As far south as Pueblo, we have a uh, learning center up north. Um, and so we, you know, we have learning centers all over. So, uh, we serve grades K through 12, um, you know, so a broad range of students. Um, we meet a lot of, a lot of different, uh, benchmarks when it comes to various grades. Um, and we serve, uh, 20 or actually 2000 students about, um, total, a little more total. Yeah. That's a lot of locations though. Yeah. Where did it start? Did it start in Denver? Hope started in the Denver metro area. Right. But we, when we started, we had locations mainly in Denver Metro. We had some in Colorado Springs. One of our original learning centers still is up north in Greeley. And we have our one of our first learning centers is also down in Pueblo. 
And you have educators involved with this. So you're oh. talking about mentors. I'm yes. thinking you mean educators. Well, yeah. We have educators at all different levels. So sure. we have teachers like a traditional school. We have paraprofessionals like a traditional school. We have mentors from the community who are trained educators, but they also have the experience of the community that they bring to the students that we work with. At our centers that serve high English language learning populations, most of our staff there is bilingual, so they can communicate with the kids. And importantly, they can communicate with the parents so parents can maintain involvement. Do you have like retired educators involved? Some. We, I mean, it's really, the, I think the mission of HOPE was to allow people in the community who are committed to education to have the opportunity to be involved. So it could be a current, a new educator. It could be a retired educator. We have a few students who have come back and gone to school to be educators and are coming oh, and working with us. That's great. And motivating our kids. Um, we have our mentors who might be paraprofessionals, and we offer opportunities for mentors who may have two years of college to continue on their education and get their alternative teacher license. You've got quite a team. We have an amazing team of people that oh. we couldn't support our kids without. So I imagine if I'm sitting out there now listening to our conversation, they're going to want to know why is Hope different than any other school in Colorado? I think Hope provides an alternative for students to find a place that they can be successful. I think one of the things that's important when you think about different schools is there's different schools for different kids. And online learning and blended learning isn't for everybody, but it's for some students. So when I think of the students that have been successful, and I think back at graduation, and students that have said that they, they didn't make it someplace else, they didn't fit in, it wasn't the right spot for them, and they felt like they found a home, Right. it's, it's really the best day of our lives. So that combination of the online and actually being in a classroom is tremendously successful. For, for many kids, it is. And for our kids, it is. So how do we pay for that? Is your tax is that our tax dollars or Hope is, it... is a public school? Okay. We're, a pub, we're a public charter school, so we're fr we're free to all students, um, and we are funded by tax dollars, just like any other public school in Colorado. But because we're an online school, we're funded slightly less. Okay. Um, but we do what we can with we do the best we can with what we have to support our students to be successful. We are a Douglas County charter school, so we follow the standards of the Douglas County School District, which is one of the highest performing school districts in the state. Yeah, it's a good school district. Mm -hmm. That's what I hear. So, Anthony, what type of student does have success at Hope? Let's talk about who's going to school there. You know, I think when I look at our students, I really see incredible potential. You know, you look at our, our vision, you know, each learning center kind of has a mission statement that they work with. Ours is empowering the next generation with wisdom, vision, and hope. You know, and hope is huge because a lot of students feel hopeless. And I think education really is is challenging and when when you when students can't succeed or they feel like they're being bullied or if they feel like their environment is not working for them they you know they tend to to kind of shut down and withdraw and isolate you know but you look at hope online and you see an organization with people who are committed to seeing students succeed you know at all costs so i you know I, heather uses the term often team hope and I think that includes, as much as the staff, it includes the students and the parents and the families and the communities that support these learning centers. It closes a huge gap, Murphy, when it comes to helping students to realize that they can do it. They can achieve. They can be successful. And one of the most uh, inspiring things I've ever been a part of in my life is going to one of the graduations because you see the students you know, you see them walk across the stage, and maybe they're the first student in their in their entire family history to have received a high school diploma. You know, and so there's this cheering with every single student that graduates, and it really it really is um, less ceremony, more celebration when it comes to seeing students succeed. But no child's a number. Every student has a name. Every student's important. Every student's part of a community, and and I think it's really really important work. And to see it happen every day really is is a great blessing. The first thing that comes to mind for these students as they graduate is the word confidence. And you must be instilling a tremendous level of confidence in them from whatever grade you get them. And, and when they leave, they're ready for life. Absolutely. And I think one of the big goals is, is to empower the students to feel like they have they have some ability to um, to really control their future and to really control the outcomes, as opposed to being victims of an, of an environment or a community that may have challenged them. You know, we really are big on empowering students and empowering families to really be able to succeed. And I think that confidence is priceless because that will that will eventually lead to them, you know, going to college, finding a career, right. uh, really, you know, finding something that, that is their life purpose. And that's ultimately the goal is that these students are connected and become strong members of healthy communities and they're able to give back in a way 
that really is really is incredible. And I'm not sure there's uh, other organizations. I mean, I, there's a lot of a lot of people doing wonderful work in, in these environments and in, in educational environments. But I really believe that hope is unique and that it it really allows the students to have a sense of belonging and becoming, and they see that achievement is possible. What kind of issues do you face when they first come? They're coming to the school. They're full of doubt. Whatever their situation might be, it's probably more negative than positive. How does that start? So, you know, we, we welcome every student who comes in the doors, no matter what uh, their past educational background has been, whether they've succeeded or whether they would call it a failure at other schools. You know, we we welcome every single student equally. Um, so when they come in the doors, we we get to know them and we get to know their family. We get to, we want to know their story. We want to know what has brought them to our our learning center and our learning centers. And I think that we really work hard to make sure that there is a strong sense of community. And I think that is what hope really, I think, does so well is really building a sense of connection and building a sense of community. Student to student is most important, I believe, because a lot of students have had a lot of negative interactions with peers and they feel like they've been put down or maybe put aside. But we celebrate diversity, we celebrate uh, uniqueness, and we, we really promote an environment that, you know, really, really targets making, targets the idea that everyone is welcome. That is Anthony Watson, who's the Hope Community Outreach Liaison with Hope Online Learning Academy Co-op. We also have the CEO and founder, Heather O'Mara, who's always got a big smile on her face because she feels good about what's going on. Let's talk about the day in the life of a student at your school. What's it like? So our students attend a learning center following the hours of a normal school day. So usually they'll get to school at 8 o'clock. They'll get breakfast. Um, we provide free breakfast and lunch to all students. Really? Yes, because that we feel that hungry children oh. can't learn. Makes sense. Hello. And um, so they come to school, they have breakfast, and they go to their classes. Um, if it's a first grade class, kindergarten, first grade, it's like a, a more of a traditional kindergarten, first grade, except kids will be on computers for part of the time. They'll be working one-on-one with a teacher or a mentor. They'll be working in small groups based on their ability, and they really rotate through that environment. So a lot of times when people think of an online school, they think a student is sitting at a computer at a desk all day looking at a screen. With no help. With no help right. and and really isolated and no social interaction. At the, in the HOPE environment, we really take a look at all the tools that we have so kids can learn online. They're learning with books. They may be reading and doing research online. They're working one-on-one with an instructor. They're going on field trips. Um, a lot of times when when I hear Anthony talk about some of the struggles our students enter school with, what I was thinking, if I was a listener, I'd say, well, how, that might work for a high school student. I understand that. But sure. I have a kindergartner. Why would a kindergartner want to go to a school like Hope? Good question. And I think that's really because we have a very small environment. So our average class size is about 20 students. Perfect. Our average learning center only has about 75 to 100 students. Our largest has 250. So if I'm a student who has some anxiety issues or I'm a parent who just wants to make sure my student is safe and is in a small environment, a Hope Learning Center is a nice option for those kids. So that's sort of the elementary school. Once you start to go to middle school and high school, kids are online, online more, just like when my, my daughter who went to a traditional school started to work online more. Sure. And so the students that are in high school might be maybe online for three, three, four hours a day, but that's again in a supported environment, working in small groups, working one on one with an instructor if they're struggling. So that high school level or junior high, because I have a granddaughter in junior high and they're switching classes and moving around, yeah. you don't have that concept. They come to the kids, the teachers. It it really depends on the size of the learning center and that environment and what works with the community. So sometimes. In high school, the students may switch classrooms, and others, the teachers may switch classrooms. It is that's I think the the beauty of the Hope model is we need to develop an education model that works for that community. Hope provides the structure, but we rely on our community leaders like Anthony Watson to determine what creates the best instructional environment and academic environment for our students to be successful. And we need to be flexible enough to change that based on the students' changes. Right, right. So when it comes to parent-teacher conferences, you're doing that. When it comes to report cards, you're doing that. You're testing. It's just like school. Hope is a public school. So, yes, we have parent-teacher conferences. We we find that sometimes the the parent involvement at Hope 
given in the communities that we serve is really strong because we're so community based that people feel parents feel safe. A lot of our, some of our students, their parents weren't successful themselves in school. So when you get called to school, it's sort of like being called to the principal's office. Well, now you're looking at me. <laughs> so, so when you get called to your student school, you don't want to get in trouble. No. And no. so it's important that it's a welcoming environment. So yes, we have parent teacher conferences, but we try to have events all year long to keep parents involved. As a blended learning school or an online school, people don't think about activities. We have soccer. We have flag football. We have basketball. We have volleyball. And we have that in, we call it sort of intra-hope. So the hope centers play each other. And that's probably one of the best ways to meet for us, for me, to meet our parents is if I go to a soccer game on a Wednesday night, sure. we may have 200 parents there. And most schools don't provide elementary sports for their kids, but it's important our kids get involved and it's a great way to motivate our students. Well, isn't it important to have kind of a well-rounded education with those outside activities, be it sports or some club or something? Well, I, I think the mission of hope from the very first charter application I wrote in 2004 was how do we educate the whole child? And when I look some of the communities that we serve, parents don't have access to soccer and T-ball and things I'm like that. Sure. So we needed to create those opportunities for our communities. And we do that as part of hope with the support of our community. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I like to look in a person's eyes. I'm looking into Heather's eyes. I look into Anthony's eyes. There's tremendous passion with what you're talking about. Why is that, Heather? Why are you so passionate about this? I think it's it's the difference that we can make. When I, when I, when I think Anthony mentioned graduation, I mentioned graduation. I think when you know that you're making a difference in a student's life, in a parent's life, and you're giving them an opportunity, you're giving them hope, it gives me hope and it gives me drive. I mean, it was interesting when I started Hope, my daughter was just starting school. Uh-huh. And sometimes she'd say, well, mom, why are you always at your school and you never come to my school? <laughs> but, and that was hard. I and, bet it was. But it's, it's, I'm driven by what I do and the kids that we serve, the parents that we serve, and the opportunity that our community leaders can give our kids. Because every student deserves opportunity. And every student deserves that hope. And there's all different ways we can do that. Right. And we need to have the ability to adjust that environment to serve those kids. And I think graduation is sort of that crown jewel. But it's it's every day when I walk into I had a meeting with probably about it was in early May, so it's the end of the school year, you're really tired. Sure. And a group of stu- high school students from one of our centers in Denver asked to see me. And I had no idea wow what they wanted to see me about. And the first question they asked was how was I going to keep them safe? It was after the Parkland shootings. And we talked about that it's our responsibility as a community to keep each other safe and report, you know, talk right, about what's right. going on, talk about your feelings. And what ended up that what they told me was, well, we weren't going to tell you this, miss, but we wanted to come here because we don't feel safe and we want to create an organization for other youth like us so youth can talk to youth about the problems that we have so they don't feel alone and started sharing some incredibly personal stories with me. Yeah. And I said, why did you share that with me? Because you can't. Because we think you care because you came. And I think that it was probably one of the best days I had all year. But I think that's what we as adults in a community, we need to show our youth and our students that we care. And we can do that so many different ways. And hope is one way that we can do that. I can do that. And our mentors could do that. And that's what drives me. Yeah. The passion's there. How about you, Anthony? What's your passion, buddy? You know, I think when you see when you see those moments and students, you know, it's it's not it's not the aha. I mean, the graduations are life changing, and you know they're moving, but it's really about the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday. Hidden in those those kind of those school days are moments for students, and when you sit in the office, you, you talk to them. And you see that tr- that that light bulb come on of possibility. You know, students who may be ready to you know throw in the towel, and even with our younger students, students who, you know, haven't succeeded in traditional settings, um, you know, and just have really struggled. And you see pa- parents come and say, "Help us, please." You know, we need support. Right. And you know, you see those turnaround moments, and you realize that 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 really is the payday or Murphy. It's it's seeing those students have the idea that, man, I can. You know, I can be a tremendous success. I can be an excellent reader. I can be an excellent writer. I can I can be advanced on all, all the park testing that happens. I can be a college graduate. You know, right. I can do anything. Anything's possible. You know, I can choose the career career I want to pursue. You know, I think it's those turnaround moments. And and the, if you 
if you're just in the in the learning centers and then you leave, you know, you'll miss those moments. But when you're there day to day, you see really those students really have the light bulbs come on. You know, and I think that our staff really do an amazing job at keeping the vision and the focus of transforming uh, these young lives into really world changers. And I believe that hope really has the ability to continue to leverage the idea of possibility. And I think that that's one of the things that's missing. I think two things are really missing in a lot of in a lot of different educational settings. One is, uh, you know, one is the idea that anything's possible. I think that is key for kids to know that they can do anything. They can right. be anything. I agree. And I, I think agree. the second is, is we're part of a community, you know, and if I, when I'm weak, the community's strong, you know, and it really, it really is a sense of personal power that I think is really unique to hope. And I think it's great to watch every day. I'm privileged to have a, you know, a, a sideline seat to see these kids really thrive and do well. Got to feel good. Absolutely. It's kind of that old saying, it takes a village, right? It to, does. To make it happen. So how does somebody get involved with you guys? Well, there's lots of ways people can get involved. So if people want to be involved as a student, if you have students or know of students that are interested, um, you can visit any one of our learning centers or call the HOPE office. If you are interested in being an employee of HOPE, we're looking for teachers and other staff to work with our kids. Again, you can go to our website or call our office. Also, if there's some additional volunteer opportunities, we're always open to that. So our website is www.hopeonline.com. And our right. office phone number is 720-402-3000. So, Anthony, since you're like the principal, what kind of training do you offer your people? I mean, if, do I have to have a certain amount of training, or some kind of a background to be employed? You know, I think that, you know, we really, one of the big missions of ours, in addition to the quality educational environment, is is developing those who want to further their career in education. It, we're really not just in, a, in the business of empowering kids to believe anything's possible. We're also in the business to, to help adults believe anything's possible. And there's a lot of adults that want to work with kids. They want to teach. They want to have a pathway toward uh, licensure. And I think Hope Online does a great job of providing trainings that, that help position people to really grab a career uh, that is going to make a difference in their communities. So I think the trainings that are available through Hope are, are incredible. And so, you know, we ask that people that are coming in, you know, have some college that, that, as they apply. And then we, you know, we will work with them on continuing their education and giving them a pathway toward, toward bettering, bettering themselves and, and making a difference with kids. And so I, I really encourage anybody who's listening that wants to be, you know, wants to pursue a career in education and looking for that pathway. Um, Hope Online is a great opportunity, and I think it really provides a lot of people uh, with, with the ability to make that connection and make a, a, a major step in their life. Oh, know, right. I would agree. And Heather, with the upcoming school year, which hard to believe it's coming around again, right? I can't believe it. <laughs> it's almost August. It's almost August. Do you need help now? I mean, are, do you need some positions filled? Yes, we have a list of positions on our website. We are hiring teachers. We're hiring mentors. We have a couple of IT pos- information, information technology positions available. We have positions for people that are passionate. I think when you, when I think of the community of learning centers that we support, what's unique about all of them is the community that they serve. What's the same is the passion of the director and the passion of the people. And right. I think so for anybody that is passionate about working with youth and making a difference in youth and education, hope is a great place for them. So I'd encourage people to understand the positions that we have as the school year starts and let us know what you want to do, where your passion is, and how you'd like to help. If you're a retired guy, and I have a lot of friends who are retired, but like lawyers, bankers, a lot of experience in life in general, do you hire people like that? If they if they have an interest in working with kids and are interested in the licensure program, of course we do. And that's either hiring or, frankly, there's also some great volunteer opportunities and some mentoring opportunities to give kids an understanding of what's out there. What could you do? And, how, and also, how do you provide an example of how you should give back? I like that. And you get that information online again. Can you give us the website, Anthony, phone number? Yeah, hopeonline.org. Um, and then, you know, I think getting on there will give, really give people an idea more about what hope is, kind of how hope operates, also open opportunities. Um, so I would just direct them to hopeonline.org. Um, it's very, very important that they go to that website to get more information. And the the positions I was speaking about was more for the mentor position in the Learning Center, sure. which works directly with 
directors like myself. Um, Hope also provides licensed certified teachers in every learning center that are excellent at what they do. Um, So they really guide instruction. They support differentiation for different students with different abilities. And so, you know, I think that there there really is a lot of wraparound services from mental health to um, other IEPs. You know, we serve students with with various needs. And so, you know, our goal is that um, no student is excluded, that all students um, you know, who really are a good fit for what we do, um, you know, and we want to be careful because that's an important point. You know, we want to make sure that students who are coming into the program really are, you know, are looking for you know, the type of program that we uh, that we offer. So it's very important there's a good a good match there. But, you know, I know that the uh, a big part of the model also is flexibility, Murphy. So, you know, hope is very flexible. And so I think that's something that really allows it to adjust the system itself to the specific needs of individual students, which I think creates a great space for students to grow. Well, you guys have both opened up a great door here. So my next question would have to be, if I'm sitting out there or a parent or somebody that knows a child that could use what you're offering, how do we get them involved, Heather? What's the next step? Again, you can always go to our website, hopeonline.org. You can also call our offices at 720-402.3000. Are there testings involved with that to be enrolled, Anthony? To get into the school, do you be are you tested for stuff? So, no, we won't we, we don't screen students by testing. I think we will do uh, an initial application. Um, and then we will, you know, request request records, and then you know, usually it requires a birth certificate, immunization records, um, for the parent that's coming in that's interested in enrolling. But I think the first thing is just coming in for a tour, touring your local learning center, um, meeting the staff there, meeting the director, and and um, just being made aware aware of the environment, what's available there. Um, I think that's the first step. But given given a call, getting on hopeonline.org. Um, is very important. You can find a local learning center near you, um, so you can go check it out, um, and I'm sure the directors would be happy to meet you. That's how it starts. It seems easy enough. We've been talking to the CEO and founder of Hope Online Learning Academy Co-op, Heather O'Mara, and Hope at I Am Academy Learning Center Director, and uh, liaison Anthony Watson, Community Outreach, basically the principal. That's why I kind of stood up straight when you came in (laughs) for all those years of being in trouble. So anyhow... Heather, what's the future? What do you see as the founder and CEO? Where do you want to go? What do you want to happen? I want to continue to support kids. That's my passion. My passion is to get, continue to give the students in Colorado opportunities to be successful. Do you see it growing more in Colorado? I mean, it's growing, obviously, but do you want to cover the state? Do you want to go out of state with this program? I, we're a Colorado-based nonprofit. We're, we were founded to serve the students in Colorado, and that's my commitment because this is a community I live in and I love. And I know we need to continue to work with students for them to be successful and continue to expand in those communities, but make sure we focus on quality. What kind of, uh, when you started 20 years ago, basically, was there a lot of pushback from other educators, parents? Like, what are you talking about? What is this online thing? I started online 20 years ago. We st- I started Hope in 2005. And I think online wasn't a word that blended learning wasn't a word then. And charter schools were new then. And I think there there was a lot of pushback, but I think now there's a lot of understanding that we need to provide options for kids to be successful. And Hope Online is one of those options. And neighborhood schools are wonderful and do a lot to support our kids. But sure. Hope provides another option for kids to be successful in a different kind of environment, and it gives the community an opportunity to become involved. Well, I can remember when charter schools started, my wife was teaching then, and they weren't happy about it. But now it's more acceptable. I have two daughters now teaching. My wife's retired, and they talk about education all the time. And I can't wait to tell them about what you're doing and see what their reaction is. But they're more acceptable of that charter school concept. Do you find that true? I, I think that's. I think that you know, charter charters are public schools. They are, and charter schools, as they start to work, as you start to work with lots of communities, charter schools provide options for kids that are different than neighborhood schools. But I think no kid is the same. And as you said earlier, it takes a village. And every village has to be a little bit different. And I think that's the opportunity we need to acknowledge the quality education that's happening in all types of learning environments. And as a parent, we need to find the environment that's best for our kid, my student, my child to be successful. And what my daughter may be successful at may not be the same thing than Anthony's. Oh, absolutely. I do believe that. Well, thank you both for coming in, Anthony. Pleasure to talk with you. It's great, Murphy. Thank you. And Heather, let's get the important information out there again. How do I find out more about Hope Online Learning Academy? Please go to our website, hopeonline.org. You can go to our Facebook page, Hope Online Learning Academy Co-op, and you can also always call our office at 720 
402-3000. Is that an enrollment time now? Are we doing yes, it? Yes, we are enrolling now. You're into it. We are into it. Oh, my. There goes the First summer First day of again. school is yeah. August 15th. Oh, please. Again, August 14th. It's here. <laughs> it's, it's here. Thank you both for coming in, and best of luck over there. Thanks Thank so much, you so Murphy. much, Murphy, for your yeah. time. That was great to have you here. It was great to have you here, too, on Mile High Magazine. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you again next week. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The July 1st Aurora Sentinel newspaper headline called them The Walking Dead after two auto-pedestrian crashes on East Colfax in a month, resulting in one death. In the last decade, auto-pedestrian crashes have nearly doubled. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Informational campaigns are now being launched to both drivers and pedestrians along busy corridors like Colfax near the Anschutz Medical Center in an effort to draw attention to this problem. In 2010, 40 pedestrians were killed in Colorado in crashes with cars. Last year, that number had increased to nearly 92. A car moving at 35 or 40 miles an hour near the posted speed limit hits a pedestrian. 90% of the time, the pedestrian dies. Reviews of surveillance cameras are revealing that pedestrians are almost just as distracted as drivers. Pedestrians are distracted from eating while walking, talking and texting on their cell phones, or using GPS devices, all collectively taking their focus off cars, and in many situations, causing these accidents. Becoming a smart and observant pedestrian is essential to not being what some officers call dead right. Officers Lieutenant Mike Rock and Sergeant Robert Farr of the Denver Police Department's Traffic Investigations Unit provide some safety insights because at any moment, any one of us can become a pedestrian. I think certainly we have seen uh, that as a contributing factor to some of the accidents that we've investigated. Yeah. Another factor tends to be the fact that we are all walking around with smartphones in our hands today. We see distracted walking as much as we do distracted driving. People no, 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 can't. wait, 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 wait. You're going to tell me pedestrians are walking down the street, looking at a cell phone, and walk out into traffic? It's the, it's the walking dead. We see the walking dead all over the city. <laughs> they're looking like zombies. They're looking down, but they're not just uh, uh, zombieing along, as it were. They yeah. they are looking at their devices, uh, whether they are, are looking for where they're going to have lunch, reading their text. Uh, and we've seen the YouTube videos uh, in the malls. They fall into the fountain. Well, they've taken it out of the streets. And, and <laughs> certainly, the yes, thing. same thing. So they ask me if I've seen The Walking Dead. Certainly. I saw it on the way here to the studio today. Really? Oh, yes. Somebody just walked out in the middle of the street just looking at their cell phone and not paying attention? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't have thought people did that. It's uh, certainly a, a grave danger to themselves. And it's interesting that you would uh, – um, open up the uh, the interview here today, uh, talking about as children we're taught mom teaches us how to safely cross the street, and we seem to do that up until the time we get into the middle school and uh, high school, and uh, then we start uh, losing it. Huh? Yeah, my partner uh, uh, Robert here has talked about that, and I should hand it over to him because this is this is an area he's yeah, talked about. Yeah, what makes quite us lose that, or do we think we're 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 smarter now, we're older, so therefore I know what's going on, and actually we're stupider and crazier, and we get hit. Yeah, I think uh, really what happens is as we mature, we believe, oh, I, I have to get across the street and the store I'm trying to get to is about halfway down the block. So I'm just going to cross at a diagonal. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go to the corner and cross straight like I was taught as a child. Well, when you do that, you place yourself out in the road for a much greater amount of time in, in that danger area than if you go straight across the road. And it's a phenomenon that we see that happens uh, transition from teenage to adult. And almost any time of the day, you can be in downtown Denver and you can see it all over the streets. You can watch uh, mm-hmm. kids will go to the corner and they'll cross straight across and adults will just walk diagonally across the street. And sometimes your back is even to the traffic that you're uh, that you should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And we see that that is a contributing factor to a lot of uh, collisions that we investigate with pedestrians. So what both of you gentlemen are saying is that Pedestrians have to be smarter these days. Well, you certainly have at least to take more attentive. A, a role in your own safety. I, I I look around and and I accuse folks of having no interest in their own personal safety, and that certainly seems to be what's going on. Sure. Uh, certainly, we have lots going on. If we're adults, we have work. We might be in school. 
Um, we have uh, groceries to go get. We may even have multiple jobs that we're going to. Um, sports, uh, whether we are going to view them or we're going to go participate in them. We we have full schedules from high school up to uh, our age here, us uh, old farts sitting here in the in the studio. We have lots going on. But when we take that with us out on the roadways, when we're interacting with 4,500-pound cars, uh, buses, semi-trucks, the light rail, um, and even other walkers, um, when we take those distractions with us, and we focus on them instead of getting across the street safely. Yeah. What's around me? What's coming at me? And as distracted as we are as walkers, some of those drivers are just as distracted. And it's it's becoming a, a dangerous and even deadly combination. Is, that, is, is this a phenomenon that a city gets as it grows and grows bigger? Maybe more people are coming in. I've always thought that some people from – a lot of people moving here from California – who are used to California's laws, if you stick a foot off a curb, everybody stops. But everybody in Denver, we're not going to stop. You know, um, is, is this a factor of just growing bigger that we're going to have situations like this? I don't think that that's uh, exactly what we're looking at here. Uh, what happened is back in the uh, 40s and 50s, we were a pedestrian environment. Yeah. And then as we got into the 60s and the age of the automobile came in, then we designed roadways that were accommodated vehicles. And now we are attempting to take that environment that was designed for vehicular traffic and we're trying to make it uh, multimodal again, uh, being bicycle-friendly and pedestrian-friendly. And we're trying to encourage people to walk more and to ride their bikes more. And the infrastructure uh, built up around roadways that were designed for you know vehicles to get to and from very quickly, and now we're trying to have an impact in that. And I think that's moving things in the right direction. But what it's it's caused is the intersection of pedestrians and vehicles now uh, is much greater than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about the, the design of roadways too. As a pedestrian, instead of just looking left and right across the street, because we have so many double left-hand turns now and we have right turn on red, so you need to really look – for that as well as a car just says stop there at the light that's going to go to, to to go across because some people know to stop before you make the right turn on red and others just think you can make a right turn on red and they just keep driving. So as a pedestrian, you got to be aware of that and look all kinds of ways to make sure you're not going to put yourself in danger. Well, and not only just looking is look at the driver, make eye contact with them. Where are they looking? Do they even see you? Do they have any idea you're there? And don't step out until you know that driver is looking at you, even if it takes something as much as a, a smile and a wave. Yeah. Uh, get some reaction out of them. Um, even if they seem to be looking your direction, are they looking beyond you? You're not a hazard to the motor vehicle. The other motor vehicles, the other cars, the other buses coming at them at 40 miles an hour, that's their hazard. So in order to be seen, you, you have to make yourself as visible as possible Getting that eye contact is is very important. And then um, wearing clothing, especially if you're going to be out uh, at dusk or dawn or after dark, uh-huh. making sure that you're wearing some clothing that doesn't cause you to just fade into the background. Making certain Yeah, wearing that, a lot of black is not a good thing if you're walking. That's right. And uh, we have fairly good lighting in most of the streets in Denver, but some of it is still fairly old. It's not directed out very broad. It tends to be very narrow. And uh, so you can walk between lights and disappear into the shadows from the standpoint of a motorist. Yeah. Or even after dark, they're looking down the roadway at headlamps coming at them, and you're completely washed out now as a pedestrian or a bicyclist. So it's really important before you step out, even though you may have the cross signal and it's your turn to go, is it safe for me to step out? And making absolutely certain if it takes the two to three seconds yeah. before you step out there, do they see me? Do they know I'm here? No, you said, do they see me? Now, that's where that left turn comes back in, because if you're crossing in the same direction, they have to cross you, make it a left, then you may see them, but they're looking up there looking for that left turn signal to hit. That's right. So you got to be even more aware of if there's somebody who's going to try to make a left turn. And even halfway across, when some traffic has already made the left turn, when it comes to left turn yield, right. somebody else is going to try to get through before that other traffic coming the opposite direction comes and out. It brings so you really got to look at that. Right? It brings us back to, again, once I'm out in the street and I'm traveling, 
Look certainly where I'm going, but look backwards. Look all around you. Every every couple seconds, take a look around to make sure yeah. I'm being seen. Cars will have uh, what we call the A-pillar, and that's the, the part, A-pillar. A-pillar, that's the part that holds your windshield in uh-huh. and then holds your roof up. Well, those two large metal pieces that hold your roof up are the A-pillar up front, uh, right next to you where the doors close is the B-pillar and on back. So um, they uh, serve a great purpose. They hold your roof up to keep you dry in the wintertime, uh, keep your car safe if you roll over, but they block your vision of pedestrians and bicyclists. Uh. And it's possible now as a driver, as you're making the left turn and there's a pedestrian walking the same direction to my left in the crosswalk, to miss them because they happen to be walking in that blind spot created by the A-pillar and your outside rearview mirror. So as a motorist now, I want to uh, tilt my head around that A-pillar, just a quick little uh, uh, tilt one way and then the other, right and left, allows me to make sure there isn't somebody in my blind spot. And as a pedestrian, as I start to get into that area where I've crossed over the first couple of lanes, and now I know I'm entering the lanes where this left turn is going to meet me in the crosswalk, that's where I want to be is looking over my shoulder. Yeah, you have to have a different set of strategies for multiple lane streets than you do with uh, simple arterials in your neighborhood. Absolutely, which is brings us back to uh, uh, my partner's uh, premise of uh, the head on the shoulder and making sure that in this multimodal, Put the cell phone away for a moment. We really encourage folks that even when you are in the right, you can still uh, wind up having somebody run a red light, run a stop sign, something like that. And um, we just want folks to be able to look because as a pedestrian, you can change your direction very quickly, yeah. much much quicker than a car can. And so that's that's really what we're we want to encourage folks to do because it's like it would be like walking on an I beam across a mode of lava. Most people would choose not to look at their cell phone during that period of time, right? I mean, or I think if, you're right about or, that. Or if there, or if there were alligators in, in, in a moat below you, yeah. and you're you're on a six inch wide beam, that's the way folks should treat roadways because they are they are dangerous. And get across it, and then go about your business. Now, a lot of a number of people being um, involved in these collisions are seniors. Well, yes. or people that are 55 plus and that kind of thing. Now, is age contributing to it or are they just as distracted because they got more to think about? Well, uh, two years ago, we saw a spike in both um, elderly pedestrians uh-huh. and older pedestrians, as you say, 55 and older, being involved in uh, as victims of pedestrian collisions and as drivers. And that, that was something that we were uh, very concerned about. So this last year, we targeted the uh, older pedestrian community for an educational awareness program, teaching them how to take control of the walking environment. But um, I I will tell you, uh, in my unit, we do all of the follow-up hit-and-run investigations, Mm -hmm. and we do see a number of elderly and older folks that come in that probably should be thinking about when to give up their driver's license. And those are hard okay, conversations. Okay, giving up a driver's license and walking are two different things now. It, it is. Okay. Yeah, but I, I'm just, I'm addressing drivers. Okay. All right, yeah. right, 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 and, right. We haven't gone to drivers yet. I was still <laughs> yeah. in the pedestrian part with, with, with older people walking. And with the, the older folks walking, taking care of their – or taking control of their environment really involves watching out for others, uh-huh. walking in groups – and walking at a time that uh, they're more visible than other folks and following the same general recommendations that uh, Mike had talked about earlier, making sure they make eye contact with folks and waving at people. Um, because we do uh, want to encourage folks to be able to go down to their corner grocer right. and, and and do those kind of things because walking uh, as we age is a, a very beneficial activity for all of us. And you cannot assume that another driver sees you at all. Absolutely. You can't assume that at all. And there's some living in a senior community. I know some ladies will say, well, I'm a senior. They see me. I'll be all right. I'm just walking out in the street because they see me. I'm a senior. I'm going to be fine. No, No. they're not. And unfortunately, um, as we age, our bodies are are a little more delicate. They're a little more brittle in places. And the the largest increase in fatal accidents uh, involving pedestrians we see in people 55 and older. And that's a sad statistic. 
We thank Lieutenant Mike Rock and Sergeant Robert Farr of the Denver Police Department's Traffic Investigation Unit for their insight to make us all better and safer pedestrians. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday morning. It is Mile High Magazine, and I love how we get to learn about different organizations all around town together every Sunday morning. And with us this morning is Sandy Austin. She is the executive director of Bionic Team. Sandy, good morning. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me here with you. Oh, it is my pleasure. So first off, what is Bionic Team? The Bionic Team stands for Believe It or Not, I Care, and I started it at Green Mountain High School uh, 14 years ago after four suicides within eight months. Oh, my goodness. Um, so where is it still at the same high school? Actually, no. Um, I have moved on to Pomona High School now, and so what had happened is they've had a lot of uh, influx of a lot of extra programming and everything, so mm-hmm. it's on the it's on the. Uh, it's on hold for right now, but they are going to be getting some things going again with it again. Oh, that is wonderful. And so Bionic, um, is it a statewide program? Is it local to different schools? What is it? So uh, 900 schools worldwide have inquired about starting it. So that's what's exciting is elementary through college across the world are interested in starting the Bionic team. A lot of them have it going full speed. So it's really exciting to see what's happening there. That is wonderful. And what exactly is the Bionic team? All right. So what it is is a school teacher or a school counselor basically leads the club at the school and they bring in new uh, student uh, leaders to be able to lead the students in the outreaches. So we reach out to new students mm-hmm. uh, to get them connected in the school. We reach out to students out with extended illnesses to let them know we care and get send them a get well packet. We send um, out uh, a, a, a care package to those that are out for uh, the losses of loved ones in their mm-hmm. families. We have a prevent bullying by just saying hi program to reach out to the bullied students and help prevent bullying uh, by empowering bystanders to get involved. We have a stu- school tragedy team that reaches out to other schools that experience tragedy with a 30 foot poster just saying, Hey, we care and we understand what you're going through or, or we um, are thinking about you during this difficult time. So Bionic obviously stands for believe it or not. I care. Yes. Um, it is a team. And as you were just explaining, a teacher or a counselor at the school can start it. Yes. And then where do the students find out about it? How do you pick what students are going to be on the team? Is everybody welcome? How does that happen? Great question. Yes, everyone is welcome. And what's so exciting is the diversity of the kids that are on the team. At times I've had teachers come in and they need to talk to a student. They said, I can't believe that that kid is even in the same room as that kid because typically those types of cliques don't get along. Mm-hmm. She goes, it's amazing to see what's happening with Bionic. Everyone is welcome. There's no GPA, grade point average requirement or anything. Anyone who wants to join is welcome to come. Often we see that kids that we've reached out to want to join Bionic too because they want to reach out to others mm-hmm. like we help them. How is it run? Is it a typical club or organization? Like, what does that look like in a school? Yes, it's a school club. And so what happens is we do outreaches as needed. So for the new student breakfasts or lunches, that's once a month. For the um, lost team outreaches, it's once a month. Um, and then for students that are out sick for five days, that day, hopefully we can get that get well packet out. Mm-hmm. So it's on an as needed basis. Um, when students are bullied, we're hoping that students are reaching out right then uh, for other schools that experience tragedy. If we hear about a school shooting one day, we're hoping to get that poster out the next day to them with all the signatures of all the students and staff. That is wonderful. And obviously doing a lot of this takes funding. So how does that yes. work? Oh, in fact, just yesterday we were at Bandamere for 12 <laughs> hours riding golf carts there. Okay. Uh, Bandamere's are great to do that. And then we uh, sell burritos. We do other different things. We go for grants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get donations from different people. And so what's exciting is uh, we just won a grant from the Innovator Society with Community First Foundation. And as a school counselor, I have been running the Bionic team and trying to help all these school, schools worldwide for 14 years. But we got a grant from the uh, from the Community First Foundation, and so we will be able to start a nonprofit now and be able to really get out there and reach out to all those schools and help them. And so, um, but we do uh, different various uh, types of fundraising mm-hmm. to raise the money. 
So I know that you talked about starting this 14 years ago, and it was four suicides in your school that brought it about. But what was it for you? Like, what was your hope back then, like, that you were trying to do and trying to establish when you started Bionic? What I saw after thinking through and talking with the, the families and the friends of those young men who had taken their lives, I saw that they were going through some some basic things that happen in life, um, some uh, tragedies, a loss of a loved one. They were out sick or they were new to a, student, new to a school and they were having a hard time getting connected. Mm-hmm. And so I thought if we could have students reaching out to students going through those types of times, then hopefully we can get them the support they need. And then if... What we saw with those young men is those things started to spiral down as far as the depression started right. uh, escalating, things like that. And so what happens, what I, my hope and prayer through Bionic is that we can uh, reach kids during those times, then we can prevent anything from spiraling down into more serious mm-hmm. issues. What have you heard from schools who've implemented Bionic into their schools? Oh, uh, they said that uh, we cre- it, we have helped to create a more caring climate there. Kids are looking out for each other. Um, at Green Mountain, one of the uh, uh, advanced placement teachers who had was a graduate of Green Mountain herself, and she was there during the suicide, she said, Sandy, there has been a dramatic change into a more caring climate at our school. And she said, Bionic is the single uh, most significant factor in changing that. So what happens is kids are getting their eyes off themselves mm-hmm. and they're looking at the needs around them and they say, hey, Bionic, we don't have uh, very complicated um, outreaches at all. It's very basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And so these kids um, during at school, they, they know how to do that. Then when they graduate and go on to college or into jobs, they're able to do those in, in they are able to, it becomes a lifelong, uh, lifelong skill. It, it just going to say, yeah. I mean, those are life skills that we all need to know, Oh yes, you know, how to deal with the hard things that happen in life and how to be a compassionate member of society and reach out and just be there and say, I'm here, I care. And it sounds like that's exactly what the students and probably the staff as well are learning. Oh, very, very true. And what's neat is the the staff is there seeing the different outreaches. They're able to speak to the kids mm-hmm. a little bit more. They are aware of what's going on more than more so than ever. And so they're seeing these kids reaching out. We have something called 1010 Eye Care Day in October, October 10th coming up. And we encourage everyone to reach out to 10 people that day, one person each hour for 10 hours to make a difference. And we have 1,500 students at Pomona. That could just think of a that uh, you know mm-hmm. ten each of those people doing ten things that day, and right. so it really does make a difference in the school. And our hope is that people will like that feeling and like what happens, and then we'll continue to do that with their lives. So when students hear about Bionic and say, "Hey, I want to get involved with it," what are you, what are their reasons usually? They want to make a difference. They're seeing either they're seeing their friends are being touched. They're seeing the positive thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting. And we all love that. Whenever we see people being reached out to, we all need some positivity in our lives. And when we are seeing that something we did brought a smile to someone's uh, someone's face or a tear to someone's eye saying, thank you. I appreciate that. I've been so lonely. Or uh, for the kids that are bullied through our Prevent Bullying by Just Saying Hi program, the, our um, H's help get help, um, typically from an adult to help stop the program, stop the bullying. And then the I is initiate contact with, with that bullied student sometime that day. And so when they're seeing that by reaching out to that student saying, hey, it was wrong, you didn't deserve that. And they're going, I can go back to school now. And so uh, mm-hmm. the kids are able to save face. Those bullied students are able to save face and come back. And so they're seeing that they are able to make a difference in someone's life mm-hmm. and thinking, I mean, that's one of the best feelings that we can have is by seeing that we made a difference in someone else's life and gave them some hope and some courage. And it's just incredible. It's, it's a great feeling. And if you're just joining me, um, we're talking to Sandy Austin. She is the executive director of Bionic Team. It was started here in Colorado. It's Believe It or Not, I Care. And as we've been talking, you told me that it's gone worldwide. 
Yes. How did that happen? Oh, so what's exciting is um, I was the president of the Colorado School Counselor Association, and as the counselors in the state were hearing what we were doing, they said, Sandy, you got to present it at the American School Counselor Association Conference. And so we presented there several times, about five conferences, and that's how the international schools have heard about it. Okay. And so, uh, for example, Belize, Belize City, Belize, um, St. John's Junior College, it's a, it's a high school and college together. They have an incredible team. It's been going on for about 10 years. And so they have different teams there. Mm-hmm. So um, we have different types of teams within the bionic team. The, instead of a school tragedy team, because they don't have school tragedies over there, they have a natural disaster team. So oh. when a hurricane comes in or a tidal wave, they go into the communities and help those communities. And so every school can pick and choose what they want to do, mm-hmm. uh, what what are the needs of their school, and they can have unique uh, or, you know, some of the same teams with that within their bionic team. And I know your background is counseling, yes. but you said a teacher or a counselor can start it at any school. What kind of training do they need? Uh, not a whole lot of training. Uh, we have a starter kit manual that if they contact me or go to bionicteam.org uh, to inquire, we can send them the information. And as part of the Innovator Society Community First Foundation grant that we're getting, uh, we are creating that starter kit manual so they can just go on bionicteam.org put on there that they're interested. Even parents can can see that if they're saying, hey, I want that at my school, mm-hmm. or community members saying, hey, I want that at my my local schools, uh, they can contact us and then we can start that, uh, that process. Because I can imagine that it sounds wonderful. So tragedy happens, and I think a lot of times um, somebody who's not a counselor, who started a bionic team, may feel a little overwhelmed and think, man, I'm not equipped to handle that. Definitely. And what's interesting is that every school has their ways of dealing with tragedies. And so what's good is with a bionic team, uh, the teachers or whoever's dealing with a bionic team, if they're not a counselor, mm-hmm. then they'll be okay because they'll be able to do those basic outreaches and that type of thing. And then with our outreaches, we let them know that we care. And these are some of the out, these are some of the resources they can access in order to be able to help them if, with their dealing with their grief and that type of thing. So we just do the basic outreaches reaches mm-hmm. and then the school typically has other other backups okay. for them. Okay. So it's more I see you, I hear you, I see that you're hurting, but I'm not here to fix it. We're gonna get the professionals involved to help you in that area. That's right, exactly. So what is your dream? I mean, I know you just received the grant from the Innovator Society competition. A lot of money. What is your dream for Bionic? Oh, what I'm excited about, Melissa, is that um, my, it's been my dream to start a nonprofit so we can really reach out to these other schools. And But what's amazing is I've been getting churches calling and saying, our youth group needs a Bionic mm-hmm. team, women's ministries, uh, businesses, companies, um, I would love to see the whole world doing bionic stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what, that's our dream for 1010 okay. is that if every single person does 10 things that day, just think of what an incredible world this would be like. But so that's it is people getting their eyes off themselves and looking at what the needs around them and people just caring about each other. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big outreach or anything, but just saying, I care. I'm sorry to hear of your loss, and I care, and I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Right. Something like that. You know, I think about, you talked about new students being welcomed. Yes. But even companies, when you're the new employee, you know, it's it's a little nerve-wracking for the first few months about, okay, how does this lunch thing work? Where do I go on my breaks? You know, all of that. So I love the fact that you see it as bigger than just the schools. Oh, and that's what's amazing. These kids that are graduating, going on to college, they want to start a bionic team at their college. But kids have told me when they've graduated from high school or college and have gone into the work work world, they said, Miss Austin, my company needs a bionic team because there, there are new employees. There are, are employees out sick. There are employees that are hospitalized. There are employees that lose loved ones. There are other businesses that experience tragedy. We can reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what's exciting is people, just it's kind of contagious to right. be able to help people and such a good feeling right it's and kindness it's yes compassion. it is it is exactly those things that we should all have for one another exactly that's right and i think it's such a great as we talked about earlier life skill that you're giving the kids mm, and yes. it can start in elementary middle school high school 
go on up through college, correct? Yes, exactly. All right. Exactly. And it, what's been neat is that people have been even saying, Sandy, you should come up with a package, a starter kit manual for businesses mm-hmm. so they can start it. And so right. that's our plan too, looking at that too, to see, to equip the businesses just to, and again, they're basic, basic outreaches, nothing big that human resources has to be in charge of or whatever. Right. Just very simple. I love it. Well, if you're just joining us, Sandy Austin, the executive director of Bionic Team, it was started here in Colorado. Believe it or not, I care started at a high school right here in Colorado and now has gone worldwide. I love your heart for doing this. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for people who want more information, maybe teacher, counselors, parents who want it in their child's school, where do they go? Great, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege to be with you today and your listeners. So they can go to bionicteam.org and look there, and we have all the information they can uh, look for information. We also have some Bionic YouTube videos. They can kind of look there and actually see the outreaches taking place. Thank you for being here. I'm Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning for Mile High Magazine. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine. A look at the issues and people shaping Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.